Yeah, we're going to be talking about something and then you're going to be like, well, this reminds me of Kyle's huge problem that he told me about last (laughs) year. (laughs) The whole patient-doctor confidentiality thing goes out the window when you hit record. They say home is where the heart is, so I wonder why your motherfucker always feeling heartless. Welcome to episode 21 of Doubly Negative. As always, I'm Chris, here with my friend Kyle. Kyle, how are you? Morning, Chris. I'm okay. You say good morning. For me, it's almost good night. I'm pretty sleepy, if I'm being honest. Yep. We're doing things a little bit different today. We have our first official guest, and his name is Nick Ahern. And he's got a bone to pick with me because I I was not saying the correct things in the last episode. So, Nick, let me have it. <laughs> uh, what's good, y'all? Um, yeah. Uh, the last pod, I'm a loyal listener, right, since day one. So Friend of the program. I, friend, friend, right, friend of the pod. Um and I've been listening this whole time and last episode when you, you know, kind of, you know, did a, what's it, a, a cold open or what's it called? A hot open? Well, no, what's that called? When you're... We haven't been in the biz long enough to know the time. <laughs> we'll figure it out eventually. Whatever it's called. Yeah. Um, yeah. You uh, referred to me as a social worker, which is actually not the case. Okay. So uh, what is the case? Fill it <laughs> uh, I mean, the difference. Uh, so I'm actually, well counselor, therapist, whatever you want to call it, but not social worker. Although it's, you know, technically, I mean, they're basically the same thing. I mean, for all intents and purposes, they're basically the same thing, but they do on the margins have some differences, but. So what are the differences then? then. I yeah, said, what are the differences? This is, I mean, this is great. You're already, you're meant for it. <laughs> you're already bringing us into our next topic. What are the differences? Um, I, I would get it. It's not necessarily like super, um, again, major differences, but like social work, I mean, is more about like sort of like social policy and like social services and things like that. Um, versus like therapy is more like, um, more about like kind of human growth and growth and development and that kind of thing. Um, so it's more kind of, I think kind of technical with techniques and that kind of thing, but versus social work, which is much more like, um, connecting people with resources and again, kind of addressing, Oh, okay. Uh, sort of like social service kind of background, but like a licensed independent clinical social worker does essentially the same thing that a therapist does. So it's, again, we, you can still have a private practice. You still do the same kind of work, work with the same kind of clients. But, um, so again, that's what I mean. Like the differences are very much like on the margins. I hope you don't mind me, um, jumping in here, but I think, uh, I've actually been working with a website. I'm writing for a website, um, that does a lot of the same services, in these in these different areas and i think um i think the distinction is social services is like connecting like uh kids that need foster care and people in the judicial system people with like immediate uh practical life circumstances um whereas you're dealing with more mental health issues that are not connected to things like that is is that on the right track uh yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, for sure. Um, but again, okay, social workers can also do kind of the same thing that therapists do as well. Yeah. Like when you think of social work too, like a big chunk of social work is like dealing with like DCYF and like things like that, or what we call in Rhode Island, at least DCYF, like, um, department of child and family, um, like that kind of thing. So connecting people with resources in that way, like, and so you would kind of be again doing sort of therapy, but under the guise of social work versus therapy under the guise of like, counseling right um, which would more be which would more be like psychology versus sociology but again largely cool. i mean we're again uh 
very, very few differences between them. Cool. So I guess we can start from the beginning and ask, like, what made you want to get into this field? Because I think when I look at someone in this field from the outside, like you're seeing a lot of real world situations. So, I mean, this ties to a question I want to ask later. But, um, yeah, like, how did you how did what drew you to this field? What made you want to get in this line of work? Uh, I think a combination of things, but honestly, I think dealing with my own sort of stuff, I think, I think that's where most kind of therapists, social workers, whatever, um, kind of start from is like our own sort of baseline stuff that we're working through and trying to figure it out. Right. Um, dealing with, you know, uh, relationship stuff, my own sort of parents divorce, which is tough on me and all, all sorts of kind of different layers of it. Um, but also too, I think when I was younger too, I've I was always kind of like that I mean, empathetic sort of person that, you know, my friends reached out to when there was whatever difficult sort of stuff happening. Right. Um, I just feel like I was, I was always sort of that like supportive voice for people. Um, so I don't know, I guess I just had a sort of knack for it. And then I never really thought about it being like an actual career. I had so many different other things I wanted to do. (laughs) Um, but, um, I really got inspired in high school. Actually, I took a, um, social psychology class. And that really just kind of like from there, I'm like, wow, this is fucking crazy. Right. Um, and kind of just yeah. it, it launched from there. Like prior to that, I was really into like I wanted to be a lawyer for a while. I wanted to be an athlete for a while. I wanted to do like all these kind of I want to be an artist for a while. Like so I had all these different kind of areas I wanted to go in. But again, I think that class really helped me like solidify like, oh, wait, the human mind is really interesting and, and uh, complex. And I always want to like solve problems so it kind of drew to me or drew me to it rather what what specifically like kind of blew your mind and got you really interested you know you're, you're talking about the class you took and you got really interested can, can you share like maybe one concept or something that really kind of blew it open for you uh it's a good question actually um because now we're like you know rewinding the clock back like i mean 10 or so years um i don't remember specific like skills or specific things again i just think like the concept of like sociology really blows my mind of like like human behavior and what can like drive human behavior and drive our actions or um influence our our behavior in that way um and then again psychology being more of like the the human mind and how we operate throughout the world um was really interesting and then later on i ended up you know obviously developing skills and that kind of thing through through my master's program and all that kind of stuff but um, but I don't know if I had any, I'm trying to think if I had any like particular thing that really was like, holy shit, like this, this all checks out, right? This is, <laughs> you know, this is really interesting. Oh, I got another question actually. Uh, sorry. So you said you're a loyal fan of the podcast, right? I am. Yeah. So I got some hard criticism about my, uh, pop psych one-on-one. Have I been saying some shit that's really off the wall? Um, how, how off base am I exactly? Um, no, honestly, so, so sure. There are some things that I like, you know, kind of turn, you know, I don't know. I am like, "Mm, I don't know about that. Right. Uh, but honestly, largely that I'm actually like, you know, that's actually something, you know, you say some pretty enlightening stuff sometimes actually, where there's even the things where like, I'm not, I'm not even going to lie. I'm not even blowing smoke. There's been times where you've said stuff and I'm like, that is, that's true though. That is true. Or like it connects with something I've been working on with one of my clients, but I never, 
I just wasn't sure like how to articulate it properly in a way that would connect with them. And there has been things that you've said that it's like, yes, that's what I've been trying to say this whole time. But like, I didn't know kind of how to, how to articulate it. Um, so yeah, I, you know, it's been a running, you know, joke this whole time about the <laughs> pop psych 101. Uh, but I actually thoroughly enjoy the pop psych 101. I'm not going to lie. Oh, that's awesome. As a, as, as, as a licensed <laughs> therapist, I'm, I'm here for it. Oh, that's awesome. Give me, give me a grade. Sorry, Chris, one more time. Just, just give me a grade, you know, uh, like a, like a, give me a grade for the course so far. Am I getting like a B, a C minus or where am I at? Yeah. Yeah. Overall, if you were to take all the pop site Kyle has thrown out or Kyle and I, if you want to grade us as a podcast and then separately, that would also be something good as well. I feel like Kyle has the more profound and lightning stuff, and I just have like the mispronounced words. I'm also giving the batshit crazy stuff though too. So give me a give me an overall cumulative grade, or both of us definitely. Sure, sure. Uh, no, I mean, I'm a no. I'm I'm definitely I'm definitely a fan. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with somewhere in like the a solid B range. That I'll, I'll take yeah, it. Yeah, I'm here for it. No, I'm here for it. That's better than I did in any of my classes in college. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Pop, now we're pops like one on one. I'm here. I'm, I got to be. I'm going for the extra credits. No. <laughs> yeah, we got to we, we got to kick up the pops like one on one segment again. I feel like we're the kings of like, oh, that's a good segment that might work. We'll do it one week and then we'll forget. Yeah, and yeah. then we'll never do it again. Yeah, no, I I, I thoroughly enjoy the pops like one on one. I'm uh, I mean, it also it's not even always a dedicated segment, but just kind of like comes in and out just from your own like both of you's own like learned experience, obviously. Um. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm here for it is all I'm saying. And I think that's a big thing, too, is getting someone else's perspective on something. Like, even though you're a professional, you might not have the same perspective because you wouldn't have the same life experiences as someone like, for instance, me and Kyle. So, like, getting someone else's perspective on it, it has to really help when diagnosing someone else with a completely different perspective than you. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah, I mean, and, like, mental health is so, like, subjective as well. Like, so much of... Um, I think that's kind of what makes really difficult for some people to kind of wrap their mind around it. Right. Cause when we think of like your physical health is such like an objective thing, right? Like you can clearly see a broken arm, right? Like it's, if, you know, and see yeah. is believing for a lot of people. Right. So it's really easy, I think, to wrap our mind around like, Oh, right. A broken arm. Uh, I can understand what that's like, you know, even if I don't have a broken arm myself, I get it. Right. But I think with mental health, so much of it is so subjective and so relative. And, and you guys have touched on that obviously in the pod too. Um, but there's no sort of like one size fits all um, kind of approach for all this, right? And even within disorders, right? Two people can have depression, but could have completely different sort of um, experiences with it or sort of interpretations or engagement with it, right? So like for one person, depression might look like not eating at all, right? And for other people, it's like eating your feelings, right? Or some people, again, it's not sleeping at all is depression. And somebody else, it's oversleeping, right? Like there's, you know, Again, everything is uh, sort of relative and everything's everybody has different experiences with it. So that's what makes this hall so sort of tricky and nuanced and complex, because, again, the human mind is very complex. Yeah, they, they even call um, psychology one of the soft sciences, right? Because mm. it's it's difficult to measure criteria compared to the hard sciences. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I get that for sure. Um because, and again, I think it's that kind of play on what's subjective and what's objective, right? Right. Um, right. You know, it's, it's, I think, really challenging. And again, I think that's what leads to a lot of the stigma and a lot of the just like misunderstanding and, and whatnot of mental health in general that sort of plagues not just our society, but like the world over, right? 
Yeah, because I feel like, like you said, with like physical health, like you can physically see, okay, that's not right. So especially coming from, I mean, a portion of the population where like they've never dealt with mental health issues because like, obviously it's not everyone that deals with it, just like it's not everyone that's ever dealt with a broken arm, but you can't see what's going on in someone's head and you've never experienced it. So how can you possibly, you know, um, sympathize with that person that's going through that? So that, that is, and that is what makes it tough. Yeah, no, 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 hundred percent. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, like it's, again, there's a lot of like stigma that comes from that too. Again, I think it's a lot of stigma and a lot of it. Yeah. A lot of, uh, conflict comes from just like ignorance, right? Like purely ignorance of just not understanding where this person is and what their experience, like what their worldview is, right? When you have your own worldview, your, your own world, you know, lived experience. Well, like naturally you come from a completely different perspective, right? Uh, well, you know, the, the, the cliche, like, um, perception is reality. Right. Um, yeah. and I mean, and that's like hundred percent true, right? Like your own, we're all products of our environment. We're all products of our own learned experience. So naturally like, you know, you versus somebody else could experience the same event and come away with very different interpretations of what's happening based on all these different, you know, your angle, your own experience, your own, right. All, all this stuff. Um, but yeah. Okay. So, I'm just going to, I got a question. I got to lead up to it and I might be completely wrong. You just correct me with whatever, but, um, I, I think there's a, a number of different professions in your line of work. You know, you've got the psychiatry, the psychologist, the therapist, whatever. So you're going to deal with different things than maybe those other ones do. But my question is what percentage of the time, generally speaking, do people that you deal with end up needing medication? And I, I know this is a really loaded question, but I'm just wondering what percentage of the time you can deal with, you know, talk therapy, uh, CBT or whatever, and what percentage of the time you have to say, well, you probably need medication. Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, so, well, so just as far as like my experience now and sort of what my kind of expertise is, what I'm doing now. So, um, so I like currently I work in more of like a private practice sort of setting. Right. So it's a little bit more of kind of like a higher end kind of clientele as far as like wealth and like that kind of thing. Right. So it's, again, this is all sort of relative, but um, yeah, I think it's helpful to sort of point that out in comparison to like a community mental health sort of situation where maybe it's people with, again, you know, dealing with more issues like around poverty and, you know, these kinds of things. Right. So with my, my clients, I would say it's probably, Honestly, it's probably about 50, 50, but as far as the medication, like the people who are on medication are like nine times out of 10 or even more than that, quite frankly, uh, are on medication, like well prior to meeting with me. Mm. Um, so, so like in my, uh, you know, as far as my like philosophy and style, like I'm generally not one that pushes medications on anybody. And, and again, to be fair, uh, and to point this uh discrepancy out like i'm again not a psychiatrist which that's who prescribes medication right so i i can't prescribe medication even if i wanted to right um but you know and i'm not an expert on medication either right i am obviously familiar with the common name brands i'm relatively familiar with what they do and what the side effects are and that kind of thing so i can have like an you know a pretty you know solid conversation with clients about it but i'm certainly not an expert for medication so let me just like throw that out there but um but yeah largely I don't, again, don't push medication on people. Um, cause that's sort of not, again, not, well, not my area of expertise, but 
also I, um, I think so much of our, um, our own problems can be worked out like on our own, right. Without the medication, right. Um, there are obviously are extenuating circumstances that, you know, very well may require medication. Right. But I would say the vast majority in my, um, experience would probably not need it just, well, in the, again, in the setting that I'm working at now. Well, well, with that being said, like, what was, I guess, your, um, your thoughts about it? Like, would you, do you think that, um, medication is, is necessary, is appropriate? I mean, again, everybody has their own, it's hard too, because everybody has their own sort of views on medication too. So uh, it's challenging to navigate a conversation around medication where I'm generally like, again, I think it can be helpful in the right circumstances, but I certainly wouldn't encourage anybody just because they're having anxiety or depression or whatever that they should necessarily go on medication. Right. So the vast, yeah. vast, the vast, vast majority of our problems again, can be addressed in real time. If we um, recognize the need and start implementing the skills that we need. Um, no, you know, I, I liked your function. answer. Uh, yeah. I, I was, ha I was happy to hear that you don't push it or that you don't go towards it. I, I'm, I'm not an expert by any means, but uh, I think it probably is overprescribed. And also I mm. was completely aware, especially as you started answering, I'm like, man, my question was rough because there's so many different specific issues to deal with and some require medication more often and blah, blah, blah. But, but in general, it's good to hear that you're not thinking that everybody with depression probably needs an antidepressant. So, yeah. Yeah. And I'm of a similar mind where I think you should at least try for a little bit to solve it in real time, right? Like I don't want to walk into a therapist office and then say, okay, you should talk to a psychiatrist and get you on meds for that, like right away. I want them to try to work with me a little bit, give me some tools that I can use in everyday life and let me stress these tools to the max before they say, listen, we got to give you something that you take daily. Like No, um, no 100%. Yeah, well, it's just like, yeah, when all else fails, here's you know, I guess here's an avenue we can sort of pursue too. Like it is an option, right? It's not necessarily an ideal one and not great for everybody. And, you know, again, everybody has their own sort of stigma or own sort of, you know, thoughts around. But you did but. say 50, 50. So what, what does that mean exactly? That means like a lot of the time it ends up being necessary. No, no, I said 50, 50, meaning, um, you know, cause I, I preface that with like, you know, I, I never push the medication on people. I say that when, probably 50, 50 come to me already on medication. And from there, they're just sort of sustaining it. Oh, right? uh, okay. Got it. Yeah. 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 I, I would say they don't start medication necessarily while meeting with me as far as like that percentage is probably very, very small percentage of people who begin on medication while like working through stuff with me. That's, but 50, 50, yeah. damn, a lot of people are coming to you already on medication. Yeah. And honestly, it might even be more than 50. I'm not, I, I mean, I would have to obviously go through the, my whole caseload, but it honestly might even be more than 50 is already on medication because medication is such an easy, like, I think we're all looking for this sort of like cure all, right. This like, um, what's it called? Silver bullet or magic bullet, whatever it's called. Um, that, you know, is going to fix all of our problems and make it so much easier to manage. Right. And it does right. Make things easier to manage, but that's because you're relying on something else to manage that problem for you. Right. You're like putting some of that weight onto something else. Yeah, you don't have to do the additional work. Like, I feel like in most avenues in life, everyone wants like that easy. Like, I don't have to work for this; I just get it. Like, no, and I, I, exactly. Me and Kyle have done that with like even like weight loss, weight gain, exercising more often. It's just like if I could take a magic pill and I wouldn't have to exercise again, and I could stay skinny and shredded, I would take it one hundred percent of the time. 
So yeah. it's the same thing with mental health where it's like, oh, I, like, I want this to be better now and I don't want to have to put much effort in. Let me take this magic pill. I really want to take steroids. Just I wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> I really do. I so badly want to uh, take man. steroids. Yeah, no, I think kind of what you're getting at is something I've been talking with a lot of clients about. I mean, especially over the last like year and a half with COVID and everything that there's this like major, major um, sort of interest in just doing whatever's like the easiest thing or the most comfortable thing. Well, again, I think this has been common throughout our culture and throughout our society for a really long time. But um, especially I think during COVID when, you know, we didn't have anywhere to go, we didn't have anything to do. Right. So well, what did we do to stay busy? Well, whatever was the easiest and most convenient and most comfortable thing, right? Our, our culture, I think, is obsessed with that, right? What is the easiest thing, right? Fast food, right? Is it, oh, I need food. All right, I can go through a drive-thru and get food in 10 seconds, right? Um, what's the, again, the most convenient, easy thing? So again, during COVID, well, I can't see my friends. I can't go see my family. I can't do things. Well, I guess I'll just sit on the couch and watch TV all day, right? Or sit on my phone or um, you know, be on social media or whatever the case, right? Um, yeah, it's just the and, easiest available thing to you. Sure, sure. Which is, I mean, again, there's there's value from those things, right? Like we get value out of things that are comfortable. But if our if our own sort of like comfort is the main driver behind our decision making, well, I, I would say we're focusing on some on like the wrong details, right? Like there's other things that are more important than just what's the most comfortable, the most convenient, the easiest thing in the world, right? Like I said, I, I would argue that. Uh, you know, some of the best things and probably the most uh, important things in our lives came from a place of being uncomfortable, right? Mm. Like forcing myself to do something I was not comfortable with, um, you know, something that was different, something that was unusual, something that I, you know, uh, when everybody counted me out, I kept pushing anyway, or even when I doubted myself, I kept doing it, I kept pushing, I kept pushing until eventually I crossed that finish line. And then it's like that overwhelming sort of like rush of like, wow, right? Like, this was so worth it. You know, every, all the blood, sweat and tears over this last, however long it took me to do it, right. was worth it. Right. And though, those are the things that we hold closest to our heart. Right. Uh, was again, the thing that, Oh yeah, of course. The things that were the hardest to achieve. Right. Right. And again, well, again, that when it comes to comfort, right, we forced ourselves to be uncomfortable in order to, to do that thing, whatever that thing is, right. For everybody it's different, but, um, Again, I think there's so much value in, you know, and again, it's, it's about finding a balance, right? Because obviously there's things that we want to just be able to like be comfortable too. And like, we don't want to like actively be uncomfortable, right? Like, yeah, just 24 seven want to kill yourself. We were lied to so much with advertising and stuff like that, because all of, all of the more comfortable things, you said fast food, that was one that just sprang to my mind, like advertising and in the media they overemphasize the the positive the quick benefit and they underemphasize the side effects that come with that so so medication falls into that and we're just lied to in general about that because you you can't advertise the uncomfortable things things like exercise and and, and other things like that it's just it's way harder to advertise the long-term benefits of just well-being so I, I think like it, you were talking about our um, our desire for that magic bullet. I, I think that's where a lot of that comes from. It's just this narrative that there is an easy answer when there's kind of not, but it's just push on us because they can make money like that. Yeah. And you got to think the things that give you that quick satisfaction, they're going to keep selling too. Because we're just numbers in the eyes of these big corporations. They're just finding ways to, 
you know, oh, you can have this quick satisfaction now, like you said with the fast food. Like, it's just all ways to keep us coming back, buying stuff, getting that quick hit of satisfaction, and putting all the tough stuff to the side. Yep. So, Kyle, we had talked about this. Well, you initially talked about this on a singly negative episode, and I had asked you if you were comfortable talking about it. Yep. Does that answer stand? Yeah, yeah, I'm still comfortable. Okay, so, Nick, now that we have you here... um, I don't know. I don't think you've listened to any of the singly negative episodes, but um, I thought this would be pretty interesting to talk about because it's something that I'm sure a lot of people, not so much a lot of people, but I'm sure some people struggle with understanding. Um, Actually, you know what? Who the fuck am I? Kyle, I'll let you introduce it. You know more than I do. This is your situation. You can introduce it. All right. Well, yeah, I, I don't want to put you on the spot too much, Nick. And I don't. This is not really an appropriate context. I don't even really know what to ask. But but what Chris is getting at here is that um, I'm I'm pretty sure I have bipolar type two. I've never actually been in a private therapy setting. I've never been diagnosed, but I've seen the criteria online. Uh, Pops like 101. And uh, in general, like what I've spoken about on Singly Negative is that it's it's something I've managed my entire life. But uh, I do go through these periods where I'm in a relatively good mood, which I would I would uh, I would probably say is hypomania. Uh, I think I'm probably in that phase right now where I just have way more energy than probably normal people do. Um, normal, you know, speaking in those terms. And then I go through long periods of depression. Um, so, yeah, I don't even know what my question is here. Chris, maybe you could even help me out because I, I don't really know how to probe any topics. But uh, that that is the issue we're talking about. Just from what you're saying, um you know, I, I appreciate you doing the uh, sort of research around uh, like hypomania versus mania versus depression. I mean, um, so so um, yeah, hopefully we can have a conversation about it. But uh, bipolar in general is a really difficult disorder to diagnose. So uh, so I guess we can kind of start there a little bit. <laughs> it's uh, it's naturally already uh, a challenging one to diagnose. And while obviously I am a licensed uh, therapist. Um, I also don't, I'm cautious about like actively giving therapy or advice or, you know, creating any sort of formal diagnosis or anything like that. But I'm certainly open to kind of having conversations about bipolar disorder and like, what does it look like? And, and, um, you know, what your experience is, if, does that sound kind of consistent with bipolar and that kind of thing. But I, but yeah, to, to Chris's point, you had mentioned earlier, I'm not, you know, I mentioned that he's not sure if I had uh, listened to the singly negative. I actually have not listened to the singly negative. Um, so I'm not super well-versed in what you're talking about as far as what some of your symptoms are, but. So I feel like with bipolar, it's not one of those things you diagnose in one session. This is something you diagnose over sometimes I'm sure months of just diagnosing, tracking symptoms. It's not one of those things you can just like, hey, we talked for 20 minutes and this is what you have. So that's definitely not something we're trying to get at here, but like maybe uh, a better understanding, like if, of, of yeah, exactly what the disorder is, um, if his symptoms are consistent with it. Um, I mean, is there anything you're curious about that you've read online, Kyle, that you kind of want a little more elaboration on from an expert? Well, so yeah, uh, of course it's hard to diagnose, but if 
let's say nick that you had perfect information and you could rely on what i said and it, wouldn't there be a number of questions you could ask me regarding historical weight gain sex drive sleep patterns for example couldn't you reliably say yeah that probably is what is going on or not really um i mean i'm sure that there are like symptoms checklists or like some sort of evaluation tool that you could use uh, to like kind of point us in a direction of like the is DSM, there some sort of like right? it, mood disorder sort of the, thing the, the DSM, happening here right? yeah well the dsm like is the actual diagnostic criteria yeah um so the the that obviously has a breakdown of what are the symptoms but i just mean like as far as like the questions that i would ask i'm sure that there are mood disorder sort of questionnaires of like you know have you felt irritable have you mm -hmm. felt you know increase of energy has there been you know any reckless behaviors like x y and z um i personally haven't used those but i mean there are questions that i may ask for somebody who's maybe skeptical or you know again just kind of using the dsm as like a guide for um yeah so i um that. i've actually seen one of those questionnaires and i i read through some of the questions and there was quite a lot to answer on those questionnaires and that wasn't even half of what needed to be done in order to give an official diagnosis well what i'm talking about with the dsm and um and again i'm not an expert in any of this but usually there's like nine usually there's like nine criteria and if you have five or more they would say yeah you've got that so again obviously it's not you know, you don't want you don't want to look it up and you don't want to say yes or no and then just say you have it. But I think if you have reliable information over a longer period of time, you could look at those criteria and yeah, maybe maybe you could diagnose yourself if you if you've got relatively good information. But are you saying, Nick, that you, you might not even use the DSM sometimes? Oh no no no! I would always use the DSM. Yeah, like so the DSM is the diagnostic and statistical manual like that's what therapists use that's what like social workers use to diagnose like clinically formally diagnose somebody so that's no that is what i would use just as far as what the questions i would ask i would sort of extrapolate or, or take whatever the criteria are and sort of turn that into a question is what i what i was more sort of saying versus using like an actual uh, tool, okay um, to question somebody. Yeah. Cause there, again, I'm sure that there are questionnaires like, well, for, for depression, for instance, there's something called like a, the, the Beck depression inventory, right. Which is a really common, um, and well-known sort of depression inventory that you answer a bunch of questions. And again, that's not by itself a, a formal diagnosis, but it helps us like point us in a direction of like, well, you know, Hey, they didn't score, you know, really high on this thing or, you know, so maybe that's something to kind of know uh evaluate right but i think it's more the diet the actual diagnosis comes more from like just clinical judgment and understanding all the circumstances and going by the dsm yeah like that is the dsm is what you use to diagnose right yeah because i guess i guess there are so let's say there's nine criteria for example sure it, it's relatively i guess inaccurate to just say yes i have that or no i don't have that maybe each one of those criteria deserves a whole line of question conversation is that is that kind of what you're saying yeah no no i think that's probably fair yeah and and also too i mean it's um kind of going back to i think your first pod um what's about yes. like self-diagnosing depression um so so just generally speaking um 
I would very much, um, you know, hesitate to encourage somebody to self-diagnose again from a, like, because I'm a, uh, as a therapist, it's, it's generally not good practice to encourage somebody to, to sort of self-diagnose by going through the DSM and trying to, uh, I mean, it's, it's helpful to, I think, review it. Right. I mean, if you have questions or whatever, but I wouldn't, I would, you know, refrain you from actually looking at it and saying like, Hey, because I check off X, Y, and Z box, I must have depression or I must have bipolar. I must have X, Y, and Z because, um, cause again, those, all these things are sort of relative, right. And it's difficult to remain objective while examining our own life. Right. It's, um, I think in some ways kind of, it's almost kind of similar to like when you're reading like horoscopes or something where it's like, Oh, you, you read the horoscope or whatever it says. And we sort of implant that on, you know, onto our own life in some ways, right. Where it's like, Oh, it says I'm whatever. My horoscope today says I'm kind, right. Oh, well, I was kind of nice today. Right. So like, like we, uh, create this sort of narrative in our head that answers or, or sort of solves that sort of equation. Yeah. If that makes sense. Right. Where, yeah. Oh, this is what, you know, it says I have X, Y, and Z, you know, this is what bipolar looks like, right? Here's X, Y, and Z symptom. Well, that does kind of sound like me. Well, that kind of sounds like me. Right. And, but it may not be like to a level that's like clinically appropriate, right. Where like, Hey, ADHD. Yeah, sure. Like I do get distracted sometimes, but like, that's not enough to necessarily to like diagnose somebody with ADHD just because you get distracted sometimes. Right. But you know, again, for, for us as somebody who's not necessarily like clinically trained in what ADHD is all about, what it looks like and that kind of thing may, you know, again, come away with a very different interpretation of what, what's happening, right? Cause there's so many different rationales for what's happening other than formally diagnosing you with ADHD, right? If that makes sense. Would it even matter? Like, so <laughs> I, I got so many questions to go off of that, but sorry. Yeah. I went for a, a little bit of a tangent there. No, no, no. It was great. It was, it was a really good, um, it was a really good discussion there, but would it even matter necessarily because I, I liked what you said about I, I think you were kind of getting at like a self-fulfilling prophecy like let's say i decided i had bipolar type 2 without a diagnosis that could create a self-fulfilling prophecy and now and now i'm just waiting to get depressed and then maybe that kind of even causes it but i guess the question that i wanted to ask specifically was like how does that even guide what you do um, like let's say you had a diagnosis does that change what you do or do you kind of have a, a style of talk therapy, a style of working things out. You know, if you're not prescribing medication, does the diagnosis even really make a, a big difference? So that's actually really, uh, an, it's an open debate between sort of the mental health community, I guess. So that's actually an interesting kind of topic to, to I don't know, uh, explore, right? So for me in general, which I guess is more kind of the... Um, I don't know, younger generations, like for me, largely, what do I give a shit? What, what you call it, right? You want to call it depression. You want to call it right. this. You want to call it that, right? Like largely, I don't, I don't care. Right. I care more about like, what are you experiencing? Right. I think we get caught up on, Ooh, is this, this one particular thing? Right. When again, mental health is so subjective. There's so much differences in, you know, again, what is, where does one problem end and another begin? Right. Like there's, there's, you know, again, I say I, I work with a lot of like teenagers, right? Well, how much of this is right depression? How much of it is just like typical like 
developmental sort of stuff going through adolescence? How much is the life changes of moving from high school to college? How much is it like, how much of it is our, our family experience, you know, our family life, right? There's so many different pieces to the puzzle that like, which is why I say all the time that like, I'm not the expert of your life, right? Like, who am I to, to pretend like I know what's going through your head or that I'm the expert of your life, right? Like I'm not right? like you're, you're, you're the expert of your own life and your own experience. Right. And I'm just helping you sort of like, you know, I'm, you're the, you're the captain of the ship and I'm helping kind of like guide you through it to under better understand your own self. Right. Um, but again, going back to sort of diagnoses and it, I think it creates a little bit of bumping of heads with some clients sometimes because they may want me to give them a formal sort of diagnosis. And technically I have to for insurance purposes because the insurance company won't, I mean, it's just kind of messed up how the insurance companies work. They won't allow me to meet with somebody without a diagnosis. So even if you're just mm. doing so, and that's makes me really frustrated because again, what do I care? You know, they, they're a lot of times the insurance companies are preventing us from getting therapy or just getting healthcare versus, um, you know, encouraging us to get healthcare. Right. And so it's, that's again, as a medical professional, it's just something that's kind of frustrating and just rubs me the wrong way sometimes. But yeah, for, uh, for insurance purposes, we need to diagnose in order to get billed, right? Like I won't get paid if I don't give you a diagnosis. So again, this is, everybody has their own sort of style and, and approach and whatnot. Some people are much more focused on what, what do we call it? What's the label we call it? When me, again, I think largely, what does it matter what we call it, right? Um, so like, hey, you're showing me some sort of depression-y like stuff. I'll just classify it as something that's like, yeah, like unspecified. We're not really sure depression-y stuff, right? Sure, maybe it does meet all the qualifications of depression, but Again, at the end of the day, what do I, what do I care? Right. And largely, I think the client largely doesn't care either what you call it. Right. Hey, I have some, some mood stuff that I'm working through. Um, I have a lot of low mood. I have a lot of, um, lack of motivation X, Y, and Z. Sure. That kind of sounds like depression, but again, like, you know, we're, we're focusing on kind of the wrong details. I think if we're focusing on just what is, what do we call it? Right. I am much more focused on what is the symptoms that we're experiencing. Right. And there are some times when it maybe is helpful to like, Hey, here's like, let me go over the diagnosis with you for you to better understand yourself and your own, like your own symptoms. But again, I think that's largely overblown, but I think older schools of thought is much more like, Ooh, diagnosis first. Cause again, that's what insurance wants. And that's what psych, you know, that's what the medication wants, right. To, uh, you know, all that I think is kind of funnels us in this direction to, to diagnose somebody quick or quick. Right. But yeah. yeah. I, and I think a, a nice, a good thing to point out here is when you say it's not, well, you said it's, these are the symptoms. This is what it is, but it's also circumstantial as well. Like what else are you going through at the moment? Cause you may not be clinically depressed, right? You're not dealing with this all the time. You're dealing with it right now because you're going through a lot of stuff. So, so yeah. I think I see what you're saying there. Yeah, especially um, especially when we're like first starting meeting with somebody. Like again, I'm expected to from the first session give a formal diagnosis of what this client is experiencing. And it could be all circumstantial. Like it's normal to feel sad when you lose a loved one. It's normal to feel overwhelmed when you're in your senior year of college. This doesn't mean you are clinically depressed or you have anxiety 100% for sure. It just means that during this time you're experiencing that and that's okay. Yeah, no, exactly. Right. We all have our stuff that we're all working through. Right. And so, again, I think I just find it like 
not childish isn't like the right word, but I just feel like it's like so unimportant. Oversimplified. Yeah, maybe. Oh. Uh, yeah, just like we're f- focusing on again on all sort of the wrong details when we worry about what we call it, right? But anyway. So, so Chris, you make a good point. And that's also the same reason. Your point is the same reason I used the word historical before. Because from where I'm understanding the whole mental health thing, I I see a diagnosis as kind of like like a forecast almost. Because each person has their own individual kind of cloud of behaviors and thoughts that they probably follow fairly reliably throughout their years of their lives. So like, let's say if you're dealing with some sort of personality disorder, like BPD, borderline personality disorder, sure, you're dealing with the same kind of thoughts day in and day out, or, or maybe week in and week out, week out or month in and month out. But if, if you're able to put a name on it, maybe it's not, maybe it's not helpful practically. Maybe it's not going to determine exactly how you handle it. But it might be helpful in predicting what's coming later. If I'm always worried about being abandoned, then I'm probably going to be worried about being abandoned next month and next year too, right? So, so is, is that useful in a way as a predictor, like past experience as a predictor of future experience? No, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, that's what I mean. There, there are some times where it, maybe it is like clinically relevant and appropriate to go over like, hey, right. And I, and I think actually you gave a, a perfect example for like borderline personality disorder that that's one in particular where it's like, hey, this is something that like you sort of really need to understand and wrap your mind around in order to better understand yourself and your own experiences of like, why do I have so like, well, again, without going like super in depth of like what BPD is, but um, you know, that why do I have all this chronic sort of instability within my relationships, within my own life, my own self image? Like um, why do I do all this reckless behavior? Why do I chronically feel so empty? Like all this kind of stuff, right? it may be helpful to be like, Hey, this, you know, that's sort of borderline personality disorder sort of talking. Right. And, and so it may be helpful to wrap our mind around that in that way. Um, and there are sometimes even with like depression or some other things too, where I may like kind of bring that into the conversation of like, Hey, that's, you know, that sounds like depression to me. Right. But again, I think largely more often than not, I think what we call it is, sort of irrelevant, right? That, hey, you're experiencing some anxiety right now. I don't know if that's a chronic anxiety disorder that I would diagnose you with, right? But there's obviously some stuff going on. And sometimes we just, you know, there's something called an adjustment disorder, which like, hey, we're doing, there's a major change happening right now. Oh, you're going from high school to college, for instance, right? That can be a major stressor and lead to a lot of like internal conflict and whatnot. You know, that could happen, right? But if I didn't, know all the sort of intricacies I might think you have chronic depression, right? Or chronic anxiety or whatever. And really you're just adjusting to your environment radically changing, right? Um, which is naturally going to be difficult for anybody, right? I mean, it's expected that when your normal changes that, you know, the sort of new normal, right? When your normal changes, well, that's going to create some growing pains, right? That's going to create a reaction. Our mind and body is going to tell us something, with how we respond to that. Right. And that's perfectly okay. That's part of the human experience. But again, depending on where you get introduced to that story, well, now it's like, Hey, that sounds like depression to me, or that sounds like, you know, whatever generalized anxiety disorder. That sounds like, you know, X, Y, and Z. 
when, when again, I think what is the experience we're, what's the symptoms that we're having. Right. And let's, let's address those versus again, getting caught up in the mind, the minutia of, is this depression? Is this trauma? Is this anxiety? Is this whatever? Yeah. And I think, um, like you said, if someone comes in and they're, you meet a client for the first time and that client happens to be going through that adjustment period at the time, all you know of that client is that they're going through an adjustment period. You don't know the whole story. You just know this current chapter. Like in order to properly diagnose somebody, you need to know more about the story before you came into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like catch me up to speed. Like what brought us to the present day, right? And that, I mean, no matter no matter how much you fill me in on, there's no way to fill me in on your entire life history in 45 minutes, which that's like a typical session is like 45 minutes, right? Like how could I possibly <laughs> give you a legitimate like long-term diagnosis off of knowing you for 45 minutes, right? And again, I think it's, yeah, so it comes. If we break it to sports terms, it's kind of like a coach is going to study tape. The more he studies tape, the more he'll understand the other team. So you as a mental health professional, you're constantly studying tape to prepare for that big game or diagnosis, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's actually interesting the the making the connection to like a sporting event, right? Like if you were not a football fan, right? And you turned on the TV to watch whoever your favorite you know team is and like, oh, this guy, you know, went for 100 yards and caught a touchdown. Like he must be really, really good, right? But then that could just be a one off. Exactly. Right. You never know. Right. That very well could have been this this random guy caught a one touchdown, you know, an 80 yard touchdown pass. And so, you know, but he's, you know, usually not even part of the starting roster. Right. He just happens to be a backup who got the right spot, you know, right place, right time and caught a touchdown. Right. But if I'm, again, not a, you know, not a, a, a regular fan who I'm you know paying attention all the time, like I would know, be like, oh, that's just like the sixth string like wide receiver who like nobody knows his name. He's a, you know, undrafted rookie from whatever college that nobody cares about. Right. Um, yeah. So the, I think the perfect example of this is Jonas Gray. <laughs> yeah, right. The Jonas Gray game. Yes. Yes. I remember that from like 2017 or something. That was a that's a throwback. Yeah, he came in. He had four touchdowns, or like three touchdowns, something like that. Yeah. Crazy amount of yards. So if you didn't know any if better. that was your first game, yeah, that's your first game. He's the best running back to ever ever walk the planet. He's late for the next practice. Oh, let's add in, he's on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Late for the next practice, haven't heard from him since. No, no, no. But if that's all you know, that's what you think. Right. So, so again, when we are getting just a snapshot of somebody's life, right, then, right, we naturally have a skewed interpretation of that person's whole life right and again in in sports talk right that one game is not a representation of their entire career right somebody could you know in baseball you know in theory could hit three home runs in one game sure but then they could go the whole rest of the season not hit another one right like it's just chris Chris shelton i have so many examples of this chris shelton i i had ichiro suzuki this was so long ago i traded him for chris shelton everyone laughed at me and then he sucked for the rest of the year I fell into that. I, I diagnosed him as a great player and he <laughs> fucked me. I like that. Yeah. 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 So again, that's kind of where the position that I'm put in every day to like, hey, here's just a snippet, like literally 45 minutes of somebody's life and now try to give them a clinical diagnosis that defines their entire existence, right? And, t- and defines their, their experience, at least right now, maybe not their whole experience, but their experience right now. Um, that's, it, it honestly sounds like an impossible job. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, there's like, there's so much stress 
you know, for you trying to come up with an answer with so little information, I can't imagine what that does for your mental health on top of hearing all of these people talk about their problems and like download them into your brain. Like, does that ever like affect you? Like, I'm sure you hear some stories that like really kind of like sit with you for a while, you know? Oh no, sure. Sure. Um, yeah, no, I'm honestly, I mean, in a, you know, I guess, uh, knock on wood, I guess. I feel like I'm I'm very good at sort of compartmentalizing and sort of letting sort of work be work and, um, you know, life be my you know finding that sort of work life balance, right? So so sure. I mean, I've heard I mean horrific things. I mean, a trauma. I mean, I think that's especially like significant, right? When you experience or hear not experience yourself, but hear vicariously, right? Sort of living somebody else's trauma. That's gonna that's gonna make you feel a certain type of way. Right. Um, so, so sure. I mean, there is a lot of memories that, um, I've experienced through like, again, vicariously through other people that sure. I mean, there's a part of me, I'm sure somewhere in the crevices of my own mind that holds on to that information and feels, you know, feels that right in real time. Yeah. Um, but, but again, I'd say largely, I think I'm really good at being able to just kind of compartmentalize and recognize that this is, you know, I'm, I'm doing a job to do this, right? Like I, I sort of signed up for this and this is, I think part of it too, like what intrigues me about it too. Like I want to, in some ways, um, learn from these people, right. And like understand them on a deep, deep level and ha- help them feel understood. Right. Cause I think, especially when we're talking like trauma and things like that, I mean, any of these things, um, there's like a chronic feeling of being misunderstood. Yeah, right. Yeah. And just like, and I, and I, I think that's something that I can empathize with, even if, you know, again, largely I've lived a, a relatively privileged life. There has been times in which, and I still think to this day that I just feel like chronically misunderstood in a lot of ways. So I think that, I think that actually, as we're kind of, you know, circling back here, I think that's maybe something that motivates me that, you know, I, I want to help people feel understood. Right. And that to feel like they're not crazy and that, you know, they just experience some, you know, some really difficult stuff that anybody would have a really hard time dealing with. Right. Yeah, just like, uh, just like making that person feel normal. And I feel like I, I hate using the word normal because like normal is a subjective term. But like, yeah, like, yeah, what the hell is normal? What right? you're going through, how you're reacting, how you're feeling, like, it's okay. It's okay to feel the way you are. It's okay to react the way you're reacting. Yeah. And there's a rationale for why you're feeling the way you're feeling, right? That, you know, again, I think, again, what makes mental health so interesting is that you can kind of, in a lot of ways, kind of uh, not concoct a story, but sort of rationalize away like why I'm doing the things that I'm doing. Like I can make a connection there. That doesn't necessarily make it okay. Like that doesn't necessarily make my reaction okay, but I can understand like why we're doing the things that we're doing. Right. And that's again, when we talk about like human behavior and that kind of thing, that's what really intrigues me as well that, you know, and again, somebody else could have experienced the exact same thing that you experienced and they're reaction to it may have been totally different, right? Like two people could have experienced the exact same car crash, right? And some person walked away and is like, Hey, like, wow, that was a close one, right? Like, I'm glad we, glad we're safe and everything. Right. And the other person could be like, absolutely traumatized for the rest of their life, have to go to therapy, have to, you know, whatever, have to be on meds, have to do all these things. Right. Just in order to like function and be a, you know, a quote unquote, again, we've been talking about normal, right? Whatever normal is, but a quote unquote normal person, right? Even though, again, they experienced the exact same event, they came away 
with very different sort of interpretations or just reactions in general from that same event. Yeah. So, and do you think, so I like to think for me, I don't get too affected by bad events in my life because I have gone through enough that I feel numb to certain things. So do you feel like having, I don't know how to phrase this, going through certain events, terrible, good, what have you, helps you prepare for events in the future? Because I've heard somewhere, it might have been a Reddit post, so I can't really put too much stock in it, but dealing with traumatic events early on in life doesn't necessarily make you better at handling them and can sometimes lead to reacting to them worse. But in my situation, I feel like I do a pretty good job dealing with shitty things in my life because I've had these experiences already. Yeah, sure. sure. And again, that goes back to what I'm saying, like two people can experience similar things and, and get it's the, the trajectory that comes from that trauma can be very different. Right. So yeah, it sounds like yeah. from, from, it sounds like for like from your experience, right. You feel like you've, you've sort of learned from your trauma to, you know, to grow and to under, better understand yourself and um, implement skills and that kind of thing. Right. But for somebody else, they could experience that trauma and like, you know, like sometimes we they don't can, learn from it or take the, the, the calluses, the metaphorical calluses that they build. They don't build them the same way I could build them. No, sure. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Or, you know, and again, sometimes we talk about like self-sabotage and that kind of thing too of like, you know, I've always experienced or, you know, I I had this trauma from my past. So now in this like roundabout way, you know, subconsciously, I'm like inviting new traumas because that's what I think I deserve or that's what I, you know, that's what I've always experienced and this is normal. This is comfortable for me, even though it's, you know, I mean, obviously not acceptable, not okay. Right. But sometimes we, again, on a deep, deep psychological level, we, you know, I guess I would argue that we do that. Right. That, um, that again, like sometimes we internalize that trauma. Right. And we allow that trauma to define us. Right. And we, again, although we're not consciously thinking like, Hey, I want to re-traumatize myself. That would be sick. Right. Like that's obviously not what goes through our mind. That would be so dope if I could just (laughs) Yo, hear me out. I would love <laughs> to actively invite trauma on myself. <laughs> um, but uh, but no, I think there are ways sometimes where we, in more subconscious ways, um, you know, so, sort of allow that sort of, no, again, maybe not trauma necessarily, but I mean, trauma, sure. But we allow these things to happen to us because, again, we think we deserve it or we think it's... Um, you know, again, well, it's normal and it's familiar. So this is like expected of me to just, you know, deal with, with this kind of pain. Right. Um, cause so I know there's, there's clients that I work with all the time that, you know, maybe their, their upbringing, their family life has been incredibly well traumatic, but also like conflicting, right? Like, you know, our, our home life is very argumentative. We're very loud. We're very like, whatever. So there's always this like threat of, well, maybe threat of violence around me or just like this chaos, consuming like my whole home life right well so now obviously again we're products of our environment we're products of our own experiences well then now i'm going then to like maybe venture out and create a relationship with somebody right an intimate relationship i want to date somebody well now it's like oh wait you like treated me nice you're you're like nice to me or you know you you bought me something or you're you know really sweet that's like in some ways like i reject that because like what is being nice to me right like i'm not used to yeah, you don't you don't know how to even process sure it. i'm not familiar with the idea of somebody actually giving a shit about me right in in like a meaningful way 
right? Th- that's something that we were actually talking about, I think, on the last podcast. Did you hear that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, yeah, you guys kind of touched on it relatively briefly, but yeah. So, in a, you know, we've been talking really generally for a while. I wanted to get like a really specific example because I think I, I, I don't want to diagnose me or Chris, but I think we do the same thing with uh, health. I, I think that we both get to a certain point where we feel somewhat in shape and then we are used to being not in shape or we have this idea of ourselves that we shouldn't be in shape. So then we self sabotage and kind of go backwards. Is, is that something that makes sense to you? Am, am I just making shit up? Um, no, 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 I don't think so at all. Yeah. No, I think that's again, a really super common experience for people that, um, you know, we, we sort of set the standard that like, Oh, right. When I, whatever, when I get to a particular, um, weight or, you know, I'm particularly toned or whatever, when you're talking like working out, right. When I get, when I meet that, whatever that threshold threshold is, um, you know, then it's like, Oh, I made it. And now I can sort of like let it let myself kind of go back to where I was before. Right. So in some ways, yeah, sure. We could kind of classify that as self-sabotage. Right. Do you deal with, but I mean, um, so, so in, in the beginning of this whole talk, you kind of talked about how you, one of the reasons you got into this profession was because you wanted to understand yourself and what, what you were going through. Would you be comfortable sharing with one of your personal struggles and, and have you been able to overcome it too? Because one of the things I've been wondering throughout this whole talk is, can people actually change? Are we just dealing with the same stuff throughout our entire lives and kind of accepting it and then forgetting it and then accepting it and forgetting it? Or have you made real change in your life or have you ever seen other people make real change in your life? Sorry. I know that's a couple different questions there. Yeah. And a deep one. Um, yeah, no, no, no. I mean, I, I absolutely think that we all have the ability to change, right? Like I wouldn't be doing the work that I'm doing if I didn't think we could change, right? If I didn't think, you know, cause again, I think the ability to change our own actions, our own thoughts, our own feelings. I mean, that is sort of mental health in a nutshell, I think, right? I guess the, the um, acceptance that I can't change those things, um, I think would just sort of, I don't know, make me question everything that is that I do. <laughs> like we have, uh, I think there's always though, very regularly, there's a, a discrepancy in the concept of control, right? Of recognizing what we do and don't have control over, right? And, and I think so much of our, again, our sort of internal conflict is is somewhere on that sort of, you know, there's some sort of discrepancy around control, right? Either thinking I have more control than I actually do over a situation or thinking I have no control at all over something that I actually have a lot more control over than I think I do. Right. Um, so I think that's like a major kind of component. And once we recognize the things we do and don't have control over and like how, and how we can actually control the things that we have control over. Um, again, I think that creates a, I mean, a world of difference. Um, in, in us being able to sort of navigate through our own, our own lives. Right. That, and sure, as far as like from my own experience, yeah, I mean, there's been relationship stuff that I sort of held on to for a really long time. I've, again, some, uh, my, my parents got divorced when I was really, really young. Um, so that I think had a pretty profound impact on me. I think at the time I didn't necessarily notice, but like now in hindsight, like looking back, I think, you know, in, in, recognizing the dynamics of like how my relationship with my mom, my relationship with my dad, right. Um, and their subsequent relationships with my brother and with like other people as well. Right. Um, all that, um, you know, as far as like a specific, I, I do think I've, I have overcome most of that, 
right? I mean, I mean, there's some level of it that maybe like I'm still a little bit salty about, or I'm still like not a hundred percent like okay with, but I'm at least at a point where it's tolerable, right? And I don't, it doesn't like influence my behavior or my, you know, actions or any in any way. It may influence maybe my feelings or my thoughts in some way, right? That, and again, I think that's only natural because we're we, how do I word it? Like, I don't know, like how to how to quite word it, but we're again, we are responsible for our own sort of thoughts and feelings. And we're all like biased to our own, I guess maybe that's the word I was looking for. We're all biased to our own experience, right? And and all those things influence us in a lot of ways. Uh, and I think it's it's okay to accept that like I am biased, right? For to this particular thing. And I, I'm aware that that thing bothers me, but I can't allow that to sort of cloud my judgment or um, at least in a major way or influence my, my actions in a major way. Mm. Um, if that makes sense. But yes, I do think yeah, largely, sure. I think it makes sense that we can, uh, or I believe that we can change, right. I have to believe we can change. And I've obviously I've seen that we can change, right. Cause I've seen, I mean, myself change, but also like my clients obviously make profound differences, um, over time. Yeah. So I think the biggest takeaway I took from what you just said was there's almost there's no way to completely just say okay you're good like there's no like magic like this doesn't bother you anymore you just become better at dealing with that certain thing and you kind of come to a point of acceptance where you can move forward and you can use those feelings constructively yeah yeah i think that's a pretty good kind of summary of what i'm saying and and um and yeah like when you said accepting like accepting doesn't mean i have to like love it (laughs) right like no you just you understand that it is what it is at this point, there's nothing I can do to really change it. I mean, you just have to accept like that's the reality. Yeah, that sometimes you'll run into problems that are just out of our control, right? Like simply out of our control or or, or for whatever it is, right? But we, we get in our own head and we end up creating more conflict and more pain for ourselves. You know, in a, we think by looking through every individual nook and cranny, we're actually going to make it easier for us because, hey, we're going to come up with a solution or we're going to, you know, find some way to rectify the situation. But obviously we never do, right? Because largely these things, are, if they are truly out of our control, well, the more time we spend worrying about it, largely the, the worse we get, right? Because now we're, again, inflaming the that pain, right? But if instead we yeah. can get yeah. to a position where we're sort of, ex- again, accepting our our situation and focusing on noticing that the problem sort of is what it is, right? The situation is what it is. And, and I can accept that, right? That doesn't mean, again, I like it or I'm condoning it or whatever the, you know, whatever the case may be, but, um, but accepting the problems that are out of our control, I think largely leads to less anxiety, less anger, less sadness, right? But largely we, we push those things away, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because I feel like when you're having the anxiety over a situation, you're letting it bother you, you're depressed about the situation, you're fueling the fire rather than helping you know, put it out. Yeah. 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 And that's, I think we're, we're going back to sort of self-sabotage as well. I mean, I, this is more of like a, uh, a minute way maybe, uh, or at least less obvious way. But I think that's part of it too, that like when I get stuck on the details of the things that I can't control, well, again, in, in a vacuum, if me worrying about something or not worrying about something gives me the same outcome, well, then why do I dedicate any amount of energy or time or, you know, whatever into that thing? Right. If, if it is truly out of our control, right. Which, which again, some things are and aren't out of control and and out of our control. And that's again, where that discrepancy lies. Um, but like for instance, right. If we're worrying about something from the past that we, we hold on to, and this actually, I think is something you talked about in the last, uh, the last pod that like we get stuck on stuff in the past sometimes. Right. Well, 
that's obviously something out of our control, right? It already happened, right? We can't go back and replay, you know, rewind and redo that situation. So, you know, obviously there are things that we can get out of revisiting that of like, Hey, like, why did I do X, Y, and Z? And maybe how can I learn from that to be, you know, the best version of myself today? Right. But if we're focusing on some of those details to like, and rehashing it and being upset with ourselves or, uh, you know, overthinking or like, Hey, that wasn't fair. I can't believe that they did that. Or, you know, you know, this shouldn't have, this shouldn't have happened how it did or, or whatever. Right. If there's any number of ways that our mind can interpret some of that stuff, but the more time we focus on that again, the large, l- largely it's, it's a, a, to our own detriment. Right. Because yeah. Yeah. again, that doesn't, if we're focusing on things we can't control, well, that's time, energy resources that we can't invest into the things that we can control. Right. And time and, you know, and energy and all the stuff is like a finite resource, right? We only have so much of it. There's only 24 hours in a day, right? So any amount of time that's not dedicated towards things I can control, you know, so yeah, I guess what I would argue is like, oh, oh, a waste of time, but that's hard, right? And I, I preface everything with like easier said than done, you know, yada, 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 right? I always like, I feel like I'm- So so how do you even do that then? Let, let's say I am stuck on something that happened six months ago and I can't stop thinking about it. How do I stop thinking about it? I mean, that's like case by case specific, right? And, and again, like I said, and I preface everything with it's easier said than done, all this, you know, kind of stuff, right? That um, everybody has their, uh, uh, again, has different things that connect with them and that they respond to in a meaningful way. So I, just as far as like for you specifically, like I wouldn't necessarily, you know, we'd have to figure that out. And that's something I would talk with clients about in therapy of like, hey, here's, you know, it seems like you really respond well when X, Y, and Z, right? When you implement a lot of structure in your life or you are highly productive or you whatever uh disconnect from social media or whatever right i don't know i'm just throwing random stuff out but yeah because everyone everything works like someone's gonna find exercising more beneficial someone's gonna find like you said disconnecting from social media more beneficial and that's what makes it so hard because everyone like we're so complex as people and everyone's mind interprets things and um, responds to things differently. So that's, that's what makes it so difficult. And I understand what you're saying when you say like it's case by case, because what works for me is not going to work for Kyle, which works for Kyle and me is not going to work for you. So it takes, it, it, it takes so much to finally get these answers and it takes a lot of trial and error and just like seeing what works the best. No, 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 no. You might not have a, like a, a complete answer for it, but you may have the best option for you at the time until you find maybe that complete answer, which you may never. So you have to keep in mind, you may never fully find that thing that works for you completely, but you can find something that does work for you the most. Yeah. 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 No, exactly. Right. And that's what I mean by case by case, by case like specific. Right. And, and why, again, I pref it, like when I first start meeting with somebody, uh, in one of my, you know, first, usually my second session, I'll go, I'll kind of go through my spiel of like, again, I'm not the expert of your life. Right. And I'm not going to pretend to be because I'm not you and it's, and it's not my life. Right. Like, so sure. I may come up with suggestions. I may have advice of like, Hey, here's what some of my clients find helpful, but that doesn't mean it's going to be helpful for you. Right. For some people exercise, I mean, you mentioned exercise, right. That might be really helpful. And I, and I think largely it is helpful for you know, kind of across the board. But for some people, it may be like, no, I like despise with every fiber of my being go to the gym, right? Okay, well, then maybe that's not your thing. And that's perfectly fine. Well, but that doesn't mean there's not a thing out there that would be helpful for you, right? To manage some of these stressors, this anxiety, depression, whatever the case. Yeah, just takes a lot of trial and error and figuring out what works best for you and actually sticking with what works best for you. 
And I feel like that's a big problem of mine. Like I'll find what works best for me and then I'll just fall into a, well, it's easier to not do it. And that ties back into the conversation we had earlier where we just default to what's the easiest. And I feel like I do that often. Yeah. 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 And if instead the go-to was like, what is like, maybe not the least easiest, but like, what is something that forces me out of my comfort zone and gets my body and mind like thinking different, like, like forces me to do something different that actually, yeah. I think may even be, again, it may be helpful for some people. Again, it may not be helpful for other people, but, um, changing the, the focus of our decision-making away from just what is the most comfortable thing, because again, there's so much more to life than what's comfortable. And you know what? I think that is a great statement to end this on. Hey. There's so much more to life than what's comfortable. Kyle, do you have any further questions? Uh, no, I, I just want to say uh, this has been great. Nick, thank you so much. Um, I, I think you sound like a great therapist. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, and I mean, definitely keep me in mind if you're trying to do like future pods or if you got some, uh, I mean, I'd love to have my, uh, my own sort of uh, pop psych 101, whatever pop psych 101 sort of segment or something. Uh, if you want me to be a regular, uh, you know, a regular contributor to the pod, I mean, I'm here for it. That's awesome. One of the things I thought of was uh, even like doing a segment where like we'll get like questions if people send in questions and like once a week you come on answer a question even if it's like a short tidbit or something like just a way to work in I don't know I feel like yeah what was talked about in this episode a lot of people are gonna be able to you know get something from I I, I think it was a very good conversation uh, honestly I could probably go for another hour or two but we, we got to make the content digestible. So we're yeah. There's so many different things I, I wanted to ask you, but I'm like, ah, we're already yeah, yeah. at the end of this. You know, th th it's so many things here. No, I've actually found this like this is really uh really helpful for me too. I, I love this kind of like forum to just kind of especially because I know there's been again over the last however many weeks um, that you've been doing the pod that both of you been kind of throwing out that like the interest in going to therapy and that kind of thing. And I think you're not alone, right? In the like, Hey, I think I would benefit, but like, there's something that holds me back or like whatever, but being like having a forum like this where like, Hey, maybe I have been kind of contemplating it, but I never actually took that next step that now there's, Oh, well, here's uh, again, a licensed therapist who may be able to like, you know, convince me or just to like get my mind thinking a different way or, or whether you go to therapy or not. Right. Um, so I do, uh, I do like, again, having this sort of forum to just kind of put some of this, uh, therapeutic sort of whatever um experience and just sort of skills and whatnot like out into the universe and hoping that somebody actually learn, takes something from it yeah because people will take this information i mean i think you've done a really good job of outlining you know what it's all about how you go about your job and you know people will have a better understanding and um hopefully this is the push for some people to actually go and get that help i'm going to get my help thursday baby i'm excited it's gonna be great content for the show I say we didn't even talk about that at all. That's exciting. Yeah. It's big news. No, it is. It's very exciting. I'm nervous. I feel like I'm going to be more nervous as the days go on. It's, uh, I think, Thursday. Yeah. Oh, shit. That's so soon. Two days. Kyle, you uh, you set up? I know you were looking for a therapist, too. I am certainly not. Uh, so what is your rate and how do I schedule an appointment? BetterHealth.com. <laughs> no free ads. No free ads. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 Um, well, and technically, although we don't have, I mean, this is the first time we've ever actually talked. I feel like just from listening to the pod, I feel like I'm like no longer able to be unbiased, but conflict uh, of interest, huh? Right, right. He's a friend of the, the program. Here. Fuck. 
Right, right. All and right. how I'm not how am I help? And how am I going to be a regular contributor to the pod if I now have this inter, you know intimate relationship with you, Kyle? You guys are, you guys yeah, are, we're going to be talking about something, and then you're going to be like, "Well, this reminds me of Kyle's huge problem that he told me about last year." <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> the whole patient doctor confidentiality thing goes out the window when you hit record. Right, HIPAA. Who needs mm-hmm. it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, all right. Well, this was awesome, guys. We're going to have to do it again soon. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Nick, thank you for coming on. I will talk to you all of course. soon. Later. Uh, this is life being bound to love.